welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden, and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How was your weekend? It was pretty good. Kind of relaxed a little bit. Spent a lot of time with my son. He's starting to do all sorts of new developmental stuff, grabbing new things, putting different things in his mouth, laughing more. So it's been fun <laughs> watching him like every day get a little bigger, a little smarter, a little more engaged with things. That's how I think about you as well. It's, it's fun to watch you get a little smarter yep. every day. Every day. Every day. I'm always <laughs> evolving. Uh, it is Monday, April 27th, as we are recording this. And uh, we are we are fast approaching May 1st this weekend, which is wild to think about. Like April seems to not have even hit because we've been doing quarantining from home and everything. So it's like April came and now April is pretty much gone and we're going into May 1st. Miles, what would you be doing this time of year any other year? I mean, I'd be deep into half marathon preparation. I Like I probably wouldn't even be doing this podcast with you because it'd be pretty crazy. I remember maybe a couple of years ago, you to, to record a podcast this week, I think you tracked me down at like the a parking lot in Ephraim and yep, we I recorded did. it there. <laughs> yeah, so this is normally, I'm running around like crazy. Dave, Brian, we're working in the park. It's like a crazy stressful time, but it's also like one of my favorite stretches of the year because everyone's excited and opening their doors and you can see the businesses like finally getting their patios ready. And that just doesn't even seem, even driving through Sister Bay this weekend, you know, Alice is under construction, Husby's is under construction, the hotel door is under construction and all of that investment is going on with everyone going, I don't really know what this is for. <laughs> yeah. It's wild. You know, before we jump into the news this week, uh, I just wanted to talk about some of the episodes of the podcast from last week that came out. There's some really good interviews. Uh, we kick things off with uh, you and your college buddy talking about Michael Jordan and the 90s Bulls in celebration of, what is it called, The Last Dance? Is that the new documentary on ESPN? Yeah, that's the 10-part uh, Chicago Bulls documentary. Last night were two more episodes that, man, it, it is so good. Um Obviously, I am a massive Bull, Bulls of the 90s, Michael Jordan fan, but it's just such a well-done documentary and just the way they've, they're using the 98 season and using the flashbacks to go back and get the backstory of all these key personalities. Um, it's pretty fascinating. And it's also like really fascinating. Do you, do you know, I know you're not a, a sports guy, Andrew, but did you, from a pop culture standpoint, do you know Dennis Rodman? Do you? Does that, yes. does he, okay. Yep, yep. I, I'm actually, I mentioned it last week on the podcast when we talked about this, but I have a sister who's 14 years older than me. So I have a, a breadth of 80s pop culture knowledge. So Rodman was, it's it, he was a subject of one of the episodes last night. And it was fascinating to watch because back in the 90s, Rodman was dating Madonna. He was dressing up in like a, a wedding gown. He was like one of the first athletes to just be, tattooed everywhere and have piercings everywhere and now it probably doesn't stick out that much to people like now almost every NBA player has like just tattoos all over their arms and even face and it doesn't really stick out but right at the time Rodman blew people's mind and it kind of like opened the door for that and I kind of I even forgot some of that they're like oh yeah him having a personality like that was was shocking in the sports world at the time and now it's just nobody would think twice about it like, right. 
So Yeah, that was a fun episode, kind of a nice break from the news and politics of the week. Uh, you also had a conversation with Representative Joel Kitchens about the Badger bounce back guidelines. That was really informative. It was kind of hearing it straight from the mouth of uh, one of the people who are being charged with pushing this thing forward in the state. So uh, some good guidelines in there. And you guys kind of dissected those uh, those. You kind of dissected that announcement, which was good to hear. Uh, you also chatted with J.R. Schoenfeld from Chives about how his restaurants are preparing for the season. And that episode actually blew up pretty pretty big. Lots of people are listening to that one. Full of really interesting information. If you haven't heard that episode yet, definitely check it out. J.R. is uh, a really cool guy. He kind of says it like it is. And it was one of the first times that we've heard about like actual solutions to challenges being implemented rather than speculating on how things are going to look. J.R. is really kind of taking the charge and just getting his restaurants ready to deal with them. So that was a great episode. Uh, And then also last week, you talked with Carrie Baldwin uh, about how she's been homeschooling her kids for the first time and about event planning. She's a a wedding planner in Door County. So her entire business has kind of been disrupted, uh, as many businesses have over the last couple months. Uh, But bunch of really great episodes to listen to last week if you haven't listened in a while. Uh, is there anything else that we need to wrap up from last week before we jump into what's new this week, Miles? Uh, just a certain TV show hosted by one Andrew Clyden. That's right. We put out the uh, second episode of the Door County Pulse. Uh, it's up on our YouTube channel, our Facebook page. We put it up on doorcountypulse.com slash videos. Trying to do a kind of weekly wrap up of good news and interesting stories from Door County, kind of highlighting different Door County locals and, and business owners, social media posts, things that people are doing to either move forward or to engage with the community or just have fun during COVID-19. So if you haven't seen that video, check it out. We'll have another one for you this week as well. With that, why don't we jump into what's new for this week, Miles? Oh. I thought that you were going to try to live do the show there for no, a second. No, no, I have no. I think I hit the space bar and uh, my SoundCloud started playing the podcast, and I was like, oh. "Nice." The timing was really great. <laughs> so why don't we jump into uh, the COVID nineteen update for this week? I believe last week we were able to report that cases in Door County had gone up to ten, uh, but that has not changed as of last Friday's update. Uh, there should be another update coming today at two, so we'll have updated numbers for you tomorrow if they change. Anything of note in Wisconsin or nationally that we should know of, Miles? Well, I think Wisconsin, like everyone's eyes, even nationally, their eyes are on the outbreak in Green Bay. Um, That's been a lot of people consider that a hot spot to watch in part because it's like like Albany, Georgia. It's a medium sized city, so it's not it's more representative of so much of the country. So how Green Bay and Brown County handle that outbreak and to an extent Door County, because it's, it's really I mean, it's not far from us. Um, So keeping that contained, if possible, um, is going to be a big thing people are watching. Wisconsin's testing continues to ramp up. We are almost at the capacity to do 11,000 tests a day. And if you remember when I interviewed Joel Kitchens a little over a week ago and with the Badger bounce back plan, when Tony Evers set a a bar for having 12,000, the capacity to do 12,000 tests a day as part of his requirements for reopening the economy. Um, Even Joel thought that was too high and and some Republican legislators had said like, why are we setting that bar so high? A week later, we're almost there. So, right. And when he announced that, we were sitting at about 8,000 tests a day, correct? Uh, uh, Yeah, 
might have even been closer to seven. So we've made a lot of progress in getting testing capabilities ramped up. So that's good news for those of us who want to get closer to opening our doors. Um, right. We've also seen not necessarily good news, but I, I guess like medium news on the uh, the testing percentages. So the the positive tests are going up. We've had over the weekend we had a, our highest single day of 331 positive tests. But part of that is because we're testing so many more. So it's as a percentage of total tests, we're still hovering. Just keep on bouncing back and forth between like that eight and a half percent to 11.9 percent of all tests being positive. So right. it's not spiking, but it's not dropping yet. So we're, I guess plateau is from what you've seen in other states, it's like a plateau for a while and then it starts to drop if you handle it well. Um, now, as a perspective, I think in Michigan, I saw yesterday that their percentage of positive tests had dropped to like 12 point something percent. And that was like a very hopeful number. So think about that. Like that's that's what it has dropped to in Michigan. And Wisconsin has never even gotten that high yet. So um, it, it, it is crazy that I, I saw Andy Slavitt, who has been really good on on COVID since the beginning on a national level. But he pointed out how kind of quickly we've become numb to the statistics. So when we hit 2000 total deaths in this country a few weeks ago, that was really like slap you in the face news and really concerning and got a lot of headlines. Now we have more than 2000 people dying every single day, but right. the numbers are just so big that it's like the shock of that has worn off. It's, it's kind of crazy. Like we're up there around 60,000 dead. And I just still remember like the big news when we hit like a hundred. So, yeah. And it, it can be hard to equate those things when like you and I have been hanging out in our home offices and just chatting with each other and we're able to continue working from home and we're starting to get the itch of wanting to go out and go back to restaurants and stuff like that because we're not seeing the the impact that it's having all over the country, right? We're not seeing that. We're not, mm -hmm. our loved ones aren't getting sick. Our loved ones aren't dying. Uh, but that's, that is the truth for a, a bunch of people in the United States. And, and we're just, we're privileged to not, we're privileged to be so removed from it. And we're very lucky to be removed from it in Door County in that way. We've had one death up here, but um, the the numbers are, are still very low for us. Mm -hmm. So I totally get that desensitization thing when you're, you're not involved in it as like, if, if we were living in New York, we'd probably be talking about this a lot differently, right? We would probably have a lot more, uh, a more personal connection to this than we do here. Yeah. I'd imagine that this whole, it, it must feel so different in different parts of the country. Door County is obviously worried. You look at a lot of the discussions we've had, they are largely economic discussions in other places. These are life and death survival discussions, New York, New Jersey, but even like these small towns, small cities in Georgia um, and other parts of the country. Meanwhile, we have isolated spots where we're saying like, why are we shut down? Why, like, let's have it back to normal. This is overblown. So it's, it's just, right. we've never faced anything like it. A uh, couple more things, quick updates before we jump into some of the bigger stuff that we want to talk about this week. Over the weekend, Birch Creek announced that they were canceling their summer season. Uh, so that's another big performing arts group that has decided to cancel their season. Uh, it's a tough choice to make, uh, but it, it does seem like it is the right choice to make right now. Um, so that's all events, programs, sessions, and performances from June 1st to August 10th have been canceled at Birch Creek. Yeah, just not... Totally unexpected. 
given you know northern sky peninsula players um kind of one wave after another here of of cancellation cancellations or postponements um i would imagine that most of these groups are seeing the same thing that that we're seeing from an, an events standpoint of what what's the realistic notion of how they're going to allow events like that to go on and even if they allowed them like what's your comfort level right in, as a as an organization or a business in saying well they tell me to open they, if they tell me i can open like what what am i willing to do so and even some of these businesses have told me like what once they tell you to open like in georgia where they're telling people they can open um once you do that you can no longer qualify for some of the benefits and relief programs if you stay closed. So even if you don't feel comfortable opening, it kind of takes you off the the relief program, which saves the government money, but it leaves you hanging to make a tough choice of saying, you know, let's say you're a performing arts venue and they say, yeah, you're allowed to open, but you're like, I don't feel comfortable with this at all. Right. You're stuck. <laughs> well, and like restaurants are going to face interesting challenges in terms of social distancing, reducing their their number of seating, spreading their seats out. I don't know how realistic that looks in a performing arts venue. Like, does Peninsula players reduce their capacity to 50 people and spread them out throughout the auditorium? Is that even possible to do? Like, if, if you've got one person every five seats and you've got a family that comes in together, are you splitting them up or keeping them together? I, I feel like it's more challenging when you're thinking about doing it at a performing arts center. Yeah, I, I just don't know how that works. And I the... Another one of these cancellations that I forgot to mention earlier, Door County League Baseball has officially postponed their first three weeks of play. So essentially their their May games, May 10th, 17th, 24th, are postponed. As of right now, they still hope to have a season and to make those up, but a lot of questions for them as well. You know, it's it seems so small in comparison, but, you know, a Door County League Baseball game might have anywhere from 200 to 500 people there. Um, right. They're serving food. They have concessions. That's part of how they fund their activities for the league is through ticket sales, even though it's like four, four bucks a pop, like that's how it happens. So can they, what, what do they do without fans or the ability to play? Like, could that end up canceling the season? We don't, we don't know yet. Right. Uh, one other cool story from over the weekend. One of the first things that we talked about when we started doing the daily updates was that Hatch Distillery in Egg Harbor was going to shift their production over to make hand sanitizer for the hospital. And on Saturday, April 25th over the weekend, they actually gave sanitizer out free to the public. So they gave out one pre-filled bottle per vehicle, uh, and they spread their times out throughout the day so that people over 60 would come in at one time, healthcare, first responders, grocery delivery, essential workers would get another slot, and then everybody else would get another slot too. So they did that kind of like staggered release that grocery stores have been doing. Uh, and then they also had one gallon jugs that were available for purchase for $30. So I don't know when the last time you saw hand sanitizer available for purchase was, Miles, but you posted a picture of our one gallon jug that we have at the office now from Hatch. Uh, and it was cool to see somebody in the community coming together and being like, hey, here's free sanitizer for everybody and doing a release like that. Yeah, they've been doing a great job over at Hatch. And it's actually probably, probably smart for the long haul just to even think about like, all right, what what's another product I could maybe make and sell over the next six to eight months? But yeah, they've just been giving it away. It's awesome. They're great people over there. 
Yeah. So that's kind of the the big updates from last week. Uh, Miles, you wanted to talk with me about a column that you and Dave had wrote for The Pulse on Friday. The column was called A Door County Way Forward. And it I feel like it is... It's a signal of a way to approach the coming weeks in a different way than we have over the past two months. So a lot of what we've been doing, especially on the podcast, has been kind of speculative. What are things going to look like in the future? How are things going to change? When are things going to change? But like I mentioned, it's May 1st on Friday, and there are people pushing to open on May 1st. So how does the conversation change now that that it's time to actually start really ramping things up and what's the conversation like right now and and how can we make it a, a more useful conversation i feel like that was kind of the crux of this article so can you kind of tell me what your inspiration was in putting together something like this uh, and then we'll kind of walk through what the article said a little bit as well the inspiration from it just comes from you know like every day dave and i are talking to dozens of different business owners, residents, emergency responders, government officials, and the lack of direction that almost all, all of those segments feel, whether it be legislators not having direction from and communication with the governor, whether it be municipalities not getting feeling like they're getting direction from the county or clarity on the rules that are out here, let alone two weeks from now or three weeks from now when they're starting to talk about opening their businesses. So, and then, and we own a business, you know, the pulse of the business. So we're, we're all trying to figure this out too. And that I, I do really think like we, we need to step up and start figuring out what are these questions that we need to ask to make life easier for everybody. And there are some questions that we should be able to answer. These shouldn't be things that are just floating. One, obviously like testing is, I, I don't think we need to go into that too much, but there, there is still that need for testing, even though there are some who say like, well, it's not, it's not useful because if you get tested and you're negative, that doesn't do you any good because you walk down the street and you could get it like two minutes later. But where it's valuable right. is for the people who are in question. You know, like we all know people who have symptoms that have been turned down for tests. Um, I have a family member in that boat. So if that's still happening, like at a certain point, we need all those people with symptoms. It should be a very, imp very easy solution of like test that person, especially if, if we're saying our capacity is 11,000 tests a day right now. Like, OK, then let's use all 11,000 for everybody who has symptoms <laughs> and right. let's stop leaving things up to questions because it's clear that we don't know. We don't know more about this disease than we do know. Um, right. So that one's easy. Contact tracing, that's a little more complicated because uh, people will tell you and the county chair reassured the Sister Bay Village board last week that public health department has the capability to contact and trace, but I'm not as confident in that because if we have multiple places with an outbreak this summer at any point, are we really prepared to handle them in multiple communities and track this down and do it in 24 to 48 hours like you need to do? And are we thinking ahead to that? And then if we, if we do have something like that happen. It's not just about having the public health officials to contact and trace, but the time and the availability to answer the deluge of questions that are going to come in about and, and know what kind of information needs to get out and that can go out. So there's a difference between like the privacy laws and the health impact, but like, what do you need to get out to businesses to allow them to communicate to all their customers? Um, you know, it can't be the kind of vague references that we've had to date about when there's been one case or two cases or three cases, because that we can get away with that now when it's a local stagnant population. But if we get to a point where 
even if hotels are running at half capacity in June and July, there needs to be like a rapid response to anything that might come up. Right. You know, one thing that really stood out to me in your conversation with JR is that we've been talking about like when things reopen and when this is over. Uh, And and you've mentioned that it's really not over until there's a vaccine, right? And even the best estimates for that are putting it at a year out. So I guess the, the kind of paradigm shift that happened for me, and it's something that is talked about in this article a little bit, is that even when the safer at home order is lifted, even when businesses are starting to open back up, it's not going to look the same as it did last year, right? We're, we're still like, if you have a mask, it's not something that you're going to use for five weeks and then put away and never use again, right? We're, we're looking at using masks and social distancing, wearing gloves. We're looking at all of that kind of stuff throughout the rest of the year, realistically. And that kind of hit me for the first time, is that when businesses open back up, it won't be business as usual. There's going to be challenges that we all need to tackle in different ways. But things are going to look really different. And how do we prepare for that? And how do we temper expectations for that as well? Yeah, you're right. Like, I think I even mentally, I am still thinking of like, oh, I have this mask for a while. And then I'll then we'll still have summer. And then you you have to start getting realistic about that. And, And I think restaurants are now starting to feel that of, okay, what is my restaurant going to look like? How many people can I have in my restaurant? How many people do I have to staff to monitor my doors? to make sure that I, I stay at whatever that capacity is. Um, I do know on the plus side that in the absence of some of this larger leadership that the restaurant owners have started to get together to ask and answer some of these questions. I do know that there's now a burgeoning group of hotel owners starting to do this um, to try and come up with the unified message. And I think th- those are a couple of the steps that we need to be doing as a community in the absence of communication elsewhere, because let's be honest, like Governor Evers, when he issued Safer at Home and he said all non-essential businesses must close, he didn't have a list of what those businesses were. So everyone was floundering for 24, 48 hours and longer trying to figure out if they could even have their businesses open. And if that's the template for how this is going to roll out, you know, they're going to announce that businesses can open again without telling them how they're supposed to operate. So it's better for people to be working ahead and planning for this and figuring it out on their own based on what our, our past practice in, in Wisconsin has been. Right. And right now our, our legislature is focused on suing (laughs) the, the governor and kind of this political infighting rather than coming up with legislation and, and answering those questions. So like nobody at that level seems to be doing the work to try and help these businesses out in getting that clarity. And that's, going to be crucial for these restaurants to know, like, what is our capacity level? How far apart do my tables have to be? Where do I need hand sanitizer everywhere? Do all my staff need to be wearing masks? Where do I procure enough for that? And like, what is our cleaning mechanism? Like, if they don't have enough in the hospitals, how are they supposed to have enough in the restaurants? All that information, like can villages and 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 cities and municipalities have to rethink, hey, can we relax our rules for sidewalk cafes and outdoor seating? given that restaurants are going to have to do some things to space out their customers more. So maybe you allow people to encroach on sidewalks a little bit more to have tables outside or just ease up on the enforcement of some of those things in the weeks and months ahead. I know right now restaurants don't have answers to even, you know, what they're allowed to do in terms of beverages to go and 
outdoor bars or tables or can people be sitting around in tables while they wait for their pickup order or is that considered dining like not only do the restaurant owners not know this i know that some of the municipal leaders don't know the answers to those questions so nobody's getting that information disseminated and that that really has to be at the forefront of any conversations going forward right well you know one thing that like keeps me hopeful for this tourism season is that one of the biggest things that people come up here for is nature and getting out into the parks and getting out on the water. And of all of the different activities that you can do in Door County, getting out on the water, getting out into a park, those are probably some of the safer things that you can do in terms of like being in a crowded area or coming into contact with people, you know, renting a bike and going out on the trail I would gauge that that's probably a lower risk environment than sitting at a bar, right? Right. So my my hope is that that portion will continue and that people will be able to come and experience what they love about Door County. But let's face it, the the, the dining up here is a major part of it too. Yeah. Um, it, it always has been, but in the last five, six years, the dining experiences up here have really exploded into something really special. And that's going to look different this year. There's a lot of different activities and even lodging that, that's all going to look different here. So getting that messaging all together and, and making sure that everybody's on the same page, I think is important. Uh, one other thing that I wanted to talk about from this article is the way in which that we're communicating certain things. So early on, Door County encouraged people to stay home, uh, to not come up to their second homes, that kind of stuff. Uh, I feel like that that was a hard decision to make, and it came from a place of wanting to protect our most vulnerable members of our community. Uh, but I feel like that messaging has uh, kind of twisted and turned and become rather ugly in certain certain parts of, especially the internet. You know what I mean? You've always got the vocal minority that are blowing things up on on social media. How does that messaging change now that we are leaving spring and entering summer? Uh, we've seen that encouraging people to stay home doesn't work on everybody. Uh, there's always going to be people who are going to come to Door County. And then once Door County is in full swing and summer is going and it's beautiful and people want to come up here, there's going to be more people coming up here than there were in the springtime. So how does that messaging change moving forward? And what can we do to, to make the best of that situation for our community? Well, I think number one is realizing uh, as a whole, like we're past the easy part. Like the easiest time to tell people not to come to Door County is March and April. They're the ugliest months of the year. The weather stinks. It's gray. It's rainy. And there's not a lot going on. And it's the time when more businesses are closed than any other time of year. So right. we just got through what will be the easiest part of managing our way through this crisis. So recognizing that and recognizing like like it was a good thing to tell people not to come. I, I do think that was a, a right decision. And, it, and again, like it didn't, I should rephrase that. We didn't tell people not to come. We asked them not to come. It was a polite request, if you will. There were no bridges drawn, despite what some people think. There was no police presence at the border. Um, it was about as soft a closure as, as you could imagine. So yeah, if you could even call it a closure, it, yeah. was, it was an encouragement. Yeah. So now what, what people construed that into online was something else altogether, monitoring license plates and people saying, oh, well, these Illinois plates. It's like, actually, most of our guests, as much as we like to think they all come from Illinois, most of the visitors and second homeowners in Door County, I would wager to guess are from Wisconsin. So checking out license plates is not a very good way to figure this out. <laughs> um, I would guess that more people come from 
Milwaukee, Madison, the Fox Valley, than do from Chicago, Illinois. Take, for instance, our half marathon brings a lot of people to Door County, roughly 3,000 runners, give or take. About four to 500 of those, a, a sizable portion are from the Chicago area and another couple of hundred from elsewhere in Illinois. But the rest of those are largely from Wisconsin. So it's still like 60 to 75% of, of our participants are Wisconsin residents. So I would say that probably holds somewhat true for tourism as a whole up here, just based on my time in Chicago and the, and the lack of real name recognition for what Door County is and for and the, the low numbers of people who had actually been up here. So tracking license plates is not a very good way to, to try and scare people off if, if you're trying to like tell people they shouldn't be here. Um, right. But I think now you got to recognize that that battle is somewhat over. Like we should still certainly not be sending out a message like hardcore promotion of bringing people up here. But we have to recognize that they're going to come. Like once it gets nice out and people have been cooped up in the cities and they've been, especially now that people, a lot of people have quarantined for a long time. So they feel pretty healthy and feel like, all right, I'm not a risk. They're going to start coming up. They're going to start wanting to use the parks. And that's good. Like they, they should. And honestly, like our businesses need, even if it's just takeout business, they need it. But expect to see that in the next two weeks, whether or not the governor has opened for business or not, it's just going to happen. And businesses need to know how to operate. Like hotels are still open now. They're an essential business. To the hotel owners I talked to, and I've probably talked to about a dozen, they have not received any official communication on what they're supposed to be doing differently from a sanitary right. perspective. And they're already open. So what are we, what are the restaurants going to expect from anybody? And that, I mean, that's a failing of the state and the county, I believe, in that that guidance, if that, if what those business owners told me, like we, that information needs to go out now because it's going to start, there's going to be more and more of that in the next couple of weeks. Um, right. Well, and you, you had mentioned that it, it, people are going to come up here, right? It's, it's inevitable. But I, I feel like the tone now is less like people are going to come up here whether we tell them to or not. I, I don't think it's like that anymore. I think the tone is now like now that it's time to start receiving people again, how do we be welcoming hosts, number one, but how do we inform people and educate them on how to be responsible while they're up here as well? Right. Right. I feel like that's the next major push is not about like, well, if you're going to come up here anyway, then don't do this, don't do that. I think it's more like now's the time for people to start coming back here's the best way to come back. Here's the best, manage your expectations. Businesses are going to look different. Things are going to be different. Be be respectful and understanding of that. But also here's ways that you can do your part to be uh, the most responsible visitor possible or the most responsible second homeowner. We, we want you to be a part of this community. Here's how we're all going to take steps to move forward together rather than saying like, well, I guess here they come. So we better get ready for them. It, it's different. The, the messaging is different now. That's a great point, Andrew. And actually, I think your your messaging right there was great. Like we should next week's video let's, and let's enlist the county gives you the talking points and you can just spit this out because that was really well put and Perfect. <laughs> now we got to break that down into the details right like i talked right. to some gas station owners who you know gas station shopping centers are very tiny think birdos think miller's mini martin egg harbor and yet people are still rolling up and having five or six family members get out of the car and roll into these stores and people need to understand the stress that puts on the shopkeeper and the employees there and and be a little more respectful. Like if you don't, you don't need the whole family 
You don't need all four generations in there at the same time. Um, right. Maybe that's some of the messaging that needs to, to get to people is like, hey, when you stop places, great, buy stuff, but please try and send one person, maybe two into the store. Um, things like that can go a long way toward not just health and safety, but just keeping everybody cordial. Because I know for a fact that when these business owners see whole families come in, it just it sets off a reaction of like, what are you doing? (laughs) And it just creates this tension right away. And you can avoid that just by being smart. Yeah. And I think that there's, there's a way to message that, that is, uh, that's appropriate and encouraging as well. You know what I mean? That, that should be the way that it is across the board. Now, of course, there are always going to be circumstances, uh, where you can't be uh, like a single family representative, right? You're always going to have single parents who need to have their children with right. them when they go out to get groceries. You're always going to have those situations. But for the majority of of situations that arise, uh, you could take the family to the the trail or the beach or wherever it is that you're going to be for the day, send one family member out to get lunch, come back, enjoy it all out together. Instead of driving to lunch, then driving to where you're going, getting out at every stop, doing everything together. Just change it up a little bit, set people up where they need to be to start with, then run a quick errand, be the family representative, go get your food, go get your supplies, whatever you need, and then come back. Uh, If you've got a car full of people, just one person goes in and pays for gas or picks up snacks or something like that. There's a way to to message that 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 makes it so it's like, hey, we're just going to this is how it's going to be moving forward. And it's not like a, a big thing where it's like, don't bring your family with you or don't do this. It's not about that. It's like if you're going to bring your family with you, just send one representative in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, lots of stuff like that. And then, of course, the the article kind of wraps up with maybe the most important thrust of all of this talk, right? There, there's a public health and an economic thrust to it. But one of the most important things is Door County has a huge vulnerable population, right? I think something like a third of our population is elderly. Those are the people that we need to protect the most. And those are the people whose lives are going to change the most as we start opening things up again, right? Uh, even at the federal level, the guidelines for reopening have stipulations in place to protect our vulnerable populations, nursing homes, that kind of stuff. Um, any any thoughts on that moving forward, Miles? Yeah, I mean, the disappointing thing to me that I see in a lot of these plans is like, they just say that, okay, we, we continue to lock down our elderly or people over 60 are still discouraged from going into workplaces and, and large gatherings in the, even like the best case scenario when things, even as we're allowing larger group gatherings, it's still, most of these guidelines still call for that. Okay, let's address that. That's a huge chunk of our country. And we just, we treat it like an afterthought the same way that a lot of people are just like, well, it only kills old people. It's like, yeah, that's, that's a lot of us. And in Door County, yeah. that's, <laughs> that's a huge chunk of us. So that, that only statement needs to go. And we need to think about like, what is, what are ways we can, improve the quality of life and do things safer. I heard somebody had mentioned like, well, what if we repurpose some facilities over the next two years so that these patients are, can turn other facilities into like nursing homes so that they're more spaced out. So you might be able to control and have more visitors and things like that. I like, that's not as simple as this person makes it sound, but it is things like that should be on the table versus we lock down everybody in a nursing home for the next 18 to 24 months or, <laughs> and, and they don't get visitors in that time. Like that's, that's not a great way to approach this either. Um, and in Door County, like so much of our workforce 
is that 60 plus generation and honestly 70 and 80 plus so many of our visitor center personnel so many of our board members our our volunteers like you go to the auditorium and you go to or almost anything like the people who work these events are even the half marathon like a lot of our volunteers for that event are 70 years and older right so we we have to think about like what a how do we replace that workforce if we have to and B, like, how do we create scenarios in which they can still do those things? So yeah, I don't know the answer to that, but I, I do think like we a lot more emphasis has to be put on that and not be talking about it like an afterthought, which is what it seems like most of this country has been doing. Right. Miles, is there anything else about this article or anything else that has come up that we need to talk about before we wrap up today? I, I think we covered it. Um, I, I've definitely talked myself out today and you've probably sick of listening to me. So, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's interesting today I woke up and especially with this article and there was another article that you had in this week's pulse miles where you had talked to business owners, restaurateurs, all that kind of stuff about what moving forward actually looks like. And it, it definitely feels like a paradigm shift. It, it doesn't feel like we're speculating anymore. It feels like we're starting to, and not even starting to, because the groundwork has been being laid for this for, for weeks and months already, but it, it feels like now is the time to really start looking at like, okay, Friday's May 1st. We're not going to open everything back up on May 1st, but a couple of weeks from there, we're going to start seeing things open again. And how do we, how do we do that in the safest way possible and in the most responsible way possible? And if, if we haven't been talking about it or if we haven't been thinking about it and we haven't been investigating all the details already, now is the time to really start putting feet on the ground and getting things ready to go. And that that's not to say that I'm gung ho about like flip the switch and open things back up. We got to get rolling again, but that's the, that's the truth of it. We're going to see things opening in the middle of the month of the month, most likely. So how do we open them in the most responsible way possible? And how do we continue to serve our community in a way that, you know, both as people who live here and also guests who come up here, tourists, all that kind of stuff. How do we move forward all together in a responsible and safe way? Yeah. I, and that, that's going to trickle down. Like right now, our parks and things like that are are largely not open. Like our village parks, our state parks and everything are, right? But like playgrounds, technically, a lot of these places are closed. I know people are sneaking around and finding ways to use them. Um, but what happens with hundreds more people? Okay, we got at a certain point, people want to get outside. And, and that's probably a low hanging fruit to keep people happy. So, um, so many things to figure out. Um, Luckily, we have a lot of time on our hands to to put toward that if we want to. Right. Well, I think that that's going to do it for us today, Miles. Uh, Thank you so much for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. All right. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.